one to 10, that's a 25. That's, that was amazing again. Um, first service, uh, same thing. The kids did the motion and were just perfect, right? This service, kids did the motions and were just perfect. I'm not saying that they're not perfect when they don't do the motions. I'm just saying it's pretty amazing that preschoolers did the motions the entire time. And if you've ever worked with preschoolers, you know that's a feat, <clears throat> right? That is a feat. So uh, excellent job on the leadership and the kids were just, oh yeah. And that's just, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, if you're not ready for the new year, it's coming anyway, right? 2024, a lot, lot ahead in the new year. A lot, of, a lot of changes happening in the new year. I'm not leaving. That's not what I'm talking to. Next year this time, we'll either have a new president or not. Right? So, so a lot of stuff going on this particular year. So anyway, that said, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We've been doing a series called Eight Maids of Milking. And uh, this is the last in that series. This is the eighth one. So Matthew chapter 5 is where we're at. <clears throat> and we're going to close, close this up this morning, Lord willing. So Matthew chapter 5. Let's start reading with verse 1. And this is what it says. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, when other, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, from the very, very start of this, we, we've said a couple of things. Number one, blessed does not mean happy. It means fortunate. You're fortunate. We've also said that each one of these things is an unfortunate circumstance that you find yourself in. This is not, a, and it has to be that because it's a gospel announcement. It's not a command. In other words, Jesus is not saying you need to become poor in the spirit so that you will see the kingdom of God, because that would be another way of salvation. See, and salvation is only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. So this isn't that. This is a proclamation. You're in this unfortunate circumstance. You think things aren't going well, but you are actually fortunate. You're actually blessed. And two weeks ago, um, we talked about Peace. Remember, all I want for Christmas is peace, peace, peace. I said I couldn't preach that particular beatitude because I felt like, God just kept telling me actually, that you can't preach that message because people in the audience don't have peace in their heart. So we spent a whole time about having peace in your heart. But as we begin this last one, I do want to make a couple of <clears throat> observations about blessed are the peacemakers, so they, for they shall be called the sons of God. And, and here it is. Um, the key word there is called. 
They shall be called the sons of God. That means peacemakers are being called something else. And they need an encouragement that they are not those things that they're being called. They are actually called sons of God. So whatever they're being called is a negative thing. Now, peacemaker. Why would anybody down a peacemaker? I mean, don't we need more of those in the world? More peacemakers in the world? Why in the world would a peacemaker be called a name? Why would somebody have a derogatory remark about a peacemaker? Because I think that sounds very positive. But at the same time, I understand how a peacemaker can be called names that are anything but positive. And let me give you an example, okay? Um, not every couple, but most that come to my, my office for counseling, right? They come for counseling. Uh, the man, the guy, wants me to take his side, and the woman wants me to take her side. Because, see, they both came to counseling because they both think they're right, And they want the other one to join their rightness. Come on. That, that's what they want. And so they come to me for counseling. And, and so they're explaining why they're right. And they're explaining why they're right. And I'm, I'm sitting there. And I'm not going to buy into any of it. I'm not going to take this person's side. I'm not going to take this person's side. Because I'm really more of a strategist than I am a counselor. That, that's just my strength is strategy. And what I know in that particular situation is this. It is more important for us to repair the relationship than it is for us to come to resolution. This is a relationship that needs to be repaired. See, they're coming in to the counseling situation and they're, they, they're pulling their punches. I might not be saying that right because I've never been a fighter. Maybe pulling your punches is not doing it at all. But nonetheless, they're, not, they're hitting each other. And they're hitting each other, slapping each other with their words. It's very negative. This person is calling this person names, and this person is calling this person names. It not, might not be actual names, but it's stuff like, I don't understand why he, I don't understand why she, right? And they're, they're at war with each other. And you cannot come to resolution when two people are fighting each other. There's no way for resolution to happen. So what has to occur at the beginning is there has to be a repair of the relationship. You have to get the couple to calm down emotionally so that they can handle the issue that is at hand. Is this making sense? So, so it, it's, it's more important to repair the relationship than it is to, to get to resolution. In fact, if, if, if they come several times and I can just get them to calm down to where they can talk about the issue, they can actually go home and solve it themselves but they just have to calm down enough to focus on this. So what happens in those particular situations is I become the bad guy because I didn't take his side and I didn't take her side. I'm just trying to bring peace to where they can handle the resolution. And I've been called some stuff because of that. Because peacemakers aren't that popular when you want someone to join your team. And the definition of peace, ladies and gentlemen, is not me joining your team. It's you calming down and then coming to a resolution with whoever you, you have a, 
a problem with. Let me, let me take it just one, one step further. Group of friends right here. I'm in with them. I mean, they're my friends, right? Group of friends over here. They're my friends. I'm in with them. This group of friends doesn't like this group of friends. It's amazing to me how high school plays itself out in adulthood. I, I don't think anybody ever really grows up. I, I just don't. I don't think that happens. So this group of people doesn't like this group of people. And what happens in these situations is that you are caught in the middle. This group is telling you how bad these people are over here. Well, did you know what she did? Did you know what he did? Well, they were blah, 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 and they were bad, and they blah, 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 right? And then you meet with this group of people, and they're pointing fingers at, at this group of people here. They, they betrayed me, and they blah, 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 blah. And all you are trying to do is not get involved in their stupidity. Come on, you've thought it. I just said it for you. You're trying not to get involved in this stupidity. You're trying to be friends with this group, and you're trying to be friends with this group. You're trying to kind of be the messenger of peace, just try to be the connecting link between the, the two groups of people. But what happens is that you're in Walmart, and this is a Murphy's Law. It's not even in the Bible. It just happens. And you're talking to this group of people in one of the aisles, and y'all are laughing. There's a joke that happens, and then all of a sudden, Somebody from this group of people, they come down the same aisle and they see you talking to their enemy. That isn't your enemy, but it's their enemy. And it's at that moment that they're like, oh, he just betrayed me. He's, oh, I cannot believe, I thought he was my friend, but he's talking to them. And then all of a sudden, you become like the worst person in the entire world because you're just being friendly and you've been friendly to them and friendly to this side. And so a peacemaker sometimes gets called names. Sometimes a peacemaker gets called wimp, spineless, because he can't take a side. He can't take a side and he is spineless. He's wimp. He does not know what he believes. But the peacemaker isn't trying to take sides. The peacemaker isn't trying to join a team. The peacemaker has a better objective. The objective is, how can I be an agent to repair this relationship so that they can come to resolution? And that's far more important than taking a side. And so a peacemaker, names are thrown. And what, what Jesus is saying here is, look, fortunate are you when people are calling you names that shouldn't call you names because you've tried to bring peace into the situation. Don't worry about what they're calling you because what you are is a child of God. I call you a child of God. So that's, that's how that, that particular one works. Now let's move <clears throat> to the one for today. And it's in verse eight. And it says this, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we know that this isn't be pure in heart and you'll see God. We know that isn't it. We know that there is some type of conflict that's happening with the pure in heart that they need that encouragement, they will see God. So what is that? Well, let's start with our hearts, okay? Let's start with the good old human heart right here inside. The human heart is desperately wicked, desperately wicked. It is fallen. It is not pure. 
And in fact, a person cannot do a lot of good and then all of a sudden have a pure heart. It's absolutely impossible. There is nothing that I can do in order for my heart to be pure and infuse good into this world. Absolutely nothing at all. So it says, blessed are the pure in heart. Well, I can't, like on my own, I cannot even get into a situation where that is an unfortunate thing for me to be impure in heart. I cannot do that on my own. So how does that work? How does one's heart becomes pure? You know those nice little preschoolers that were up here? They were just so cute, but they are little heathens. <laughs> Dressed as angels, but little heathens, right? And two of them I'm related to. I think they're cute as all get out. I get hugs for them every time we have a family. I mean, it's absolutely amazing, but they are little heathens. You know what you are? A big heathen, right? I'm a big heathen. We are all heathens. We can look like an angel, but not be an angel. So here's Jeremiah. He says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The heart is, is just wicked. So what in the world are we supposed to do? Next verse says this from Mark. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And you and I are born into this world in a desperate need for someone to come along and help us receive a pure heart. We cannot clean it on our own. And Ezekiel in scripture knew this. His prophecy was this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, not a revamped old one, a new one. Aren't you thankful for that? Like there's a way, I, like my heart right now is going to have to die and pass away. My evil fleshly heart will die and pass away. But what won't pass away because I received Jesus as my savior is my brand new heart and my brand new life. That's what I needed. In order to be pure, it wasn't go get the Clorox and let's wash the heart a little bit and make it pure. It wasn't try to, try to dip it in something and, and make it pure and perfect. It wasn't that. Jesus said, we've got to get away from the old and we have to start something new and I'm here to do that. So it's, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Well, how, that is great. How can I get that new life? How can I get that? And in Romans chapter 10, verse 10, it tells us, for with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So what am I supposed to believe so that I can be justified, so my heart, I can have that new heart. What am I supposed to confess with my mouth? Well, you're holding a symbol of it in your hand today. So go ahead and take out the bread. This bread represents Jesus' body. It was broken for you 
in me? Why was it broken? Because an evil, sinful heart has to be punished. It has to be punished. There's no way to move from death to life without a punishment being involved. Absolutely no way. And I couldn't be punished enough to move my heart toward a, new, toward a perfection. I couldn't, I couldn't do enough good in order to get or obtain a new heart that Jesus offers. I, I can't do that. But Jesus could. And so what he did was he was beaten and broken for you and me. His body was broken. He took the punishment that you deserve on him. That's what he did. Now, a lot of times we, we think of this as a physical, like beating, which Jesus did, and he did that for you and me, absolutely. But I submit to you this morning, not only was it a physical beating, but it was an emotional beating as well. Jesus was rejected by most of the people that were close to him. His mother hung by him. John hung by him at the cross. They were still supportive. They didn't know what was going on, but, but they were still supportive. But outside of that circle, there wasn't many other people. You could have probably counted them on your hands and feet if you removed your shoes. So his body was broken, and he was emotionally broken as well as physically broken for you and me because he was taking the penalty of our sins upon his shoulders. So as you eat this bread, remember that. And then there's the cup. And this cup represents his blood. Without his blood, you and I could not receive forgiveness from our sins. We, we couldn't. Without his perfect blood being shed on the cross of Calvary there would be no forgiveness of our sins. And so to move us and rescue us from a heart that is evil and to obtain a pure heart is the moment that we believe that he died on the cross to take the penalty for our sins and he becomes our savior. And that is what this cup represents. It represents the cleansing of our sins from our life through his blood. So think about that as you drink this. So, the next scripture is this one. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, from Psalm chapter 51. So, let's take a, just a moment just to pray. Heavenly Father, just, it's hard to put to words what it means to, to us concerning what you did for us. There is no reason why you should have taken the penalty for our sins. There's not really a logical reason why you would 
want to save us from our sins. The only answer that we can come up with, and it's probably because we're just, it's all we can come up with mentally, is that you loved us so much that you wanted to save us. Not out of our own merit, not out of how good we are or how valuable we are. It's not even that you even need us to exist. You just loved us. So we are thankful that you sent your son to be beaten and emotionally crushed. We are thankful and praise your name that he was nailed to a cross, his hands and his feet, that his blood was shed to cleanse us from our sins if we only believe. We are just struck by the fact that there's nothing else that we have to do but believe in what you've done for us to accept that gift. And we are thankful that it is that easy because if we had to achieve what you have given to us, we would never, ever make it. So thank you for giving us a new heart. Thank you for giving us a new spirit and help us keep ourselves clean so that we can bring good into this world. You're good. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So creating me a clean heart. I don't know about you, but um, I, have to, I have to make sure that I have a pure heart just about every day. And, and isn't, isn't that just rationalization? Just about every day. That implies that there's some days that I really don't have to worry about having a pure heart. I just wake up and I'm perfect, <laughs> right? It's just the way. But that is not the way it is. We rationalize, don't we? We make, we make our impure heart seem better by saying statements like, sometimes I have to ask forgiveness of my sins. Every now and then, uh, just about every day, but not every day, I have to make sure I have a pure heart. When the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, that every day that you wake up, you really need to start with some type of scripture that you're reading and some type of conversation with God to ask him to help you maintain your pure heart during the day. Because if you don't do that, I guarantee you, you go through that day and it's just not, it's not that good, right? Every day that I miss my devotions in the morning, that I miss my prayer time in the morning is a day that I do not have a leg up. Instead, of my enemy does. My enemy does. And so I spend the time just to have a leg up. And that doesn't mean that my day will be perfect. It just means that I'm starting it with the right tone, with the right focus. So, so we need to have that moment where we are keeping our hearts pure and right so that we can enter into the world and, and do some good. Proverbs chapter four says this, keep your heart with all vigilance." For from it flows the springs of life. You have to keep your heart with diligence. If you step back, if you just let things happen, um, you're going to wind up going down the wrong road. That's what happens. But if you keep your heart close to the scriptures, close to Jesus, close to God, chances are your life is not going to veer off and you're going to stay on the path that you need to be on, the path that Jesus wants you on. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says this, 
A good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces what? Good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You know what the world doesn't need? The world doesn't need Christians adding to the evil in the world. We have the ability to not do that. But oftentimes Christians add to the evil in the world when we could actually produce good in the world. And that's what God wants you to do. That's what a pure heart does. When you live your life with a pure heart and and you walk through life honoring God, honoring him, doing what he wants you to do, sharing him with the rest of the world, you do good in the world. And what an evil world needs is a bunch of Christians doing a lot of good. That's what it needs. That's what your friends need, a lot of good. And it comes from that pure heart. Comes from that pure heart. Um, I have been on a search for the perfect message. It would, it would be nice to be able to walk down one Sunday and think, that was a perfect message. It'd be nice to do that. It just doesn't happen. I mispronounce words. In a few moments, I'm going to say a word that I know in my mind, I pronounce it different ways every time I say it. I know that. I'm just creative in that way. Just very creative in that way. But I've been, I've been searching for this, perfect, for this perfect sermon. And I have listened. Like, I study this. I try to figure out how to communicate. I try to figure out how to take scripture and, and, and move it and all that kind of stuff. And so I've even watched people. And there are some people that are so much, so concerned about this pursuit of perfection, and I'm not criticizing these people at all, so don't take it this way. But they actually have like a teleprompter thing on the back of the church, and they actually read their sermons while they're giving it. So it's pretty cool because they can see, you know, and they'll read it, and they'll look at you, and they'll read it, and they'll look at you, and they'll read it. So all their notes is like, it's like a manuscript that they're reading off, and and like they, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to see a mistake that they make. They make them, but it's hard to see the mistakes that they made. I can't do that. I, I can't, I, I just, that's just not, not me. But what I know is this. There isn't a perfect sermon. All sermons are flawed. They're flawed because there's a guy giving it to them. In fact, I'd submit to you this morning, there's only one person that has ever preached perfect sermons his entire life, and that's Jesus. That's it. It's the only one. And so even a perfect sermon is flawed. That brings me to this. It is not perfection that should be aimed for when it comes to a sermon. I tell the people that I mentor, because I believe this, I believe this for a very long period of time, When you preach, you do not have a sermon until it moves your heart. When it moves your heart, you are ready to talk to people 
so that God will move theirs. If you don't have a message that moves your heart, you're just, you're just talking is, is what you're doing. There's been, there's been a couple of times, and just admit this straight up and honestly, because obviously I've lied all the way up until this point. <clears throat> just, just straight up and honest. There have been times that I've preached sermons that I had no, like I was like, why am I preaching this? It didn't move me, but I knew God wanted me to do it. And I was moved in that particular fashion and I preached the message and lo and behold, there was a big group of people that needed that particular sermon on that particular day. Absolutely, it just blows my mind. But a, a sermon is only good if it moves the speaker first and then is passed on to the audience. Now, this morning, I am looking at a bunch of preachers that preaches messages every day of their lives. You are the preacher. You go to work. You live in your house. And you are delivering a message by everything you say, every action that you do, everything that you participate in. You are delivering a message. And the question is, is that message coming from a pure heart or one that really needs to be cleansed by the blood of the lamb? Is it a pure heart and you're inserting goodness into your family? You're inserting goodness into your relationships. You're inserting goodness into your job. You're inserting goodness no matter where you go. Is your heart that way and you're preaching that message and really improving your environments? Or is your heart evil and that is the message that you are presenting to people? And the only way that you can present a message that is sanctioned by God, only way you can do that is if you know his word and you allow him to change your heart every day. Is everybody tracking? And if that isn't happening, you're not infusing goodness into the world, you're infusing yourself. And when we infuse ourselves into the world, we make mistakes every time, and that is when we add to the problem of evil rather than giving the world something that can solve it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's something. Um, <clears throat> Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Merriam? Yeah, great. Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Uh, this year, 2023, the number one word that was searched, would you like to guess what it is? The number one word that was searched this year is authentic. So there's the word I'm going to mispronounce probably five or six times. Authentic. In fact, the word, the word <clears throat> when you look at the chart, and it's a bar chart, authentic is way up here, and the second one is way down here. There was a lot of people who looked up that word this year. Why in the world are people looking up authentic? Yeah, you like it? Yeah, you can laugh. I'm good with it. I'm going to say it differently every time. I warned you. I warned you, Mr. Keys. Yeah, I'm going to say it differently every time. Not because I want to. I'll tell you, why do you think, why do you think people are doing that? Because they lack it in their lives. They look around at politicians. They're not being real. They look at their friends. They don't seem to be being real. 
They're looking at all these people and there's nothing real in their life and they want to know what it is to be authentic. And so they're questioning it. And it is astounding how many people looked up that word in the dictionary this year. It's absolutely astounding. That means there's a hunger for it. Do you know that you and I are available to give them what they need? Do you know that you and I, when we live according to a pure heart, are able to insert into this culture what people are looking for, a realness about it? You and I are positioned by the blood of the lamb to give them what they're looking up in a dictionary because they don't have it. It's you and me. And we need to live our lives with a pure heart and insert that into society. We need to be the ones that are real every day of our lives. That's what we need to do. I am convinced in this context, I am convinced that the opposite of purity is not impurity. The opposite of purity is hypocrisy. And every time you do not live with a pure heart is a moment that you're living as a hypocrite. Is a moment that I'm living as a hypocrite. And we live with pure heart. So why, why don't we like embrace this purity of heart and just live it out? Well, let me, <clears throat> let me give you kind of a reason. There's several, I'm sure, you might not have time for them this morning. But here's one, okay? The reason people don't live with a pure heart is because when they do and they are truthful, according to Scripture, according to the way Jesus wants, is it often makes a mess. It often makes a mess. For instance, if you admit that you've done something wrong and you come out and you say, to the people around you, maybe not publicly in a church, but to the close people around you, like your wife, your kids, whatever, and you admit to a sin and the purity of heart comes out, it creates a mess. Creates a mess. Some of us lie in order to avoid a mess. Oh, come on. You have lied to avoid a mess. You grew up in a house with parents. You lied to them right? You lied to them. You didn't want them to know what you did, so you lied to them. And adults do it too. We don't say the truth because we don't want to mess, and so we lie in order to make things more comfortable, and that's a moment that we're not living with a pure heart. With a pure heart, you say what God wants you to say in the moment and let the mess happen. But we don't like the mess, we look at the mess, we focus on the mess, and it's just a mess. Oh my goodness, all I can see is the mess. Being truthful, being real, being, being pure in heart has just created this situation where I, I just didn't want to deal with all this mess. I just didn't want to deal with it. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart because they shall see God. And what happens is when you're pure in heart and it creates a mess, you step back and you see the mess, but you also see God working in the mess, his kingdom working in the mess. And God's kingdom cannot work when you're lying and being a hypocrite. It can't. But when you're true, 
to his word and your heart is pure and you're doing the right thing, it creates a mess, you can step back and see how God is working through that mess so that those relationships move toward health. I'm very thankful this morning, a guy named Ron Hamilton, um, he had uh, open heart surgery uh, this past Tuesday. Yeah, open heart surgery. Now, a week before, I went to go see him in the hospital. And when I went to see him, you would have never known that that man had three blockages, two at 100% and one at like 99.9. I don't, it was some, somewhere up like that. You would have never known that he, he had these blockages. But here he is in the hospital. He would have never known it. He was in good spirits, good conversation. He seemed to have energy. But he still had to go through this open heart surgery because they couldn't put stents in. They had to do the open heart surgery. Well, on, on Tuesday, a mess was created. He went into open heart surgery, and they opened up his chest and did what they needed to do and closed it back up, and that's a mess. But he had to go through the mess in order to get well. He had to go through the mess in order for his heart to be healthy. And so after the, after the surgery, he went to... ICU, and then the level down from ICU, and then into a regular room, and this morning, he is on his way home as we speak. It's an amazing thing. But that's what a pure heart does. It creates the mess, but what it knows is this. I have to go through the mess. I have to go through the surgery in order to get to better health. So Jesus says, look, blessed are the pure in heart. I know it's created a mess for you. But don't worry, my kingdom is working and you will see God. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely amazing. Um, To end this, I have written a paraphrase of the Beatitudes. And I just want to read them to you. That way, as you leave, you kind of have a recap of what we've discussed over the past eight, eight sermons. Okay, y'all ready? All right, here we go. Fortunate are those whose spirit has been crushed when you feel like you just can't win. For those who are struggling to make it through the day, for those who feel like they are the biggest loser, because you are not a loser, for you have a breathtaking position in the kingdom of God. Fortunate are those who mourn who have cried themselves to sleep over missing a loved one, a broken relationship, a major life change, a serious health issue, or because they have to say a final goodbye to people they love dearly. Because Jesus is with you. His arm is around you because he understands how you feel. And he's introducing and developing a high level of comfort into your unfortunate situation. Fortunate are you when you get used and stepped on by someone you thought was really your friend, but they were just using you to advance their careers or improve their connections. Fortunate are you because they might be conquering here, but you will inherit what they have conquered one day. Fortunate are those who ache because of how severely out of whack the world is. For even though things are not what they should be here You will be satisfied on the inside, which will give you the strength to make it through this life. Fortunate are those who understand as much as they can about someone else, what someone else is going through, or understands the thought process that brought them to an action. 
Fortunate are those who know how to walk in other people's shoes and show mercy as a result of that understanding. For when they do not receive the same level of mercy back, they will still receive mercy just from another source. Fortunate are those who have made a mess of things because they have been honest, pure in heart, and authentic. So much so that it becomes very hard to see beyond the mess the truth has created. They are fortunate because in the mess, the kingdom of God is at work for them, as well as for others who are observing to see what has taken place. E, what has taken place. Fortunate are the ones who are called spineless betrayers and wimps when they don't take a side because they would rather see peace come into a situation than joining a fighting team. For they will be called the sons of God, for he is the prince of peace. Fortunate are you when people attack you, say all kinds of negative things about you, and beat you down every chance they get. For you have a great reward waiting for you in heaven. Even better than that, you have a breathtaking position in the kingdom of God. You are fortunate in all these unfortunate situations because Jesus is with you and he is the ultimate prize. Come on. Yeah. So that's it. That's the eight means of milking. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Oh, thank you for these words of encouragement that you started your message with over 2,000 years ago. It has warmed our hearts. Thank you for being with us in unfortunate situations that are not of our own making. And thank you for reminding us that at the end of the day, we are yours and you are our ultimate prize. So move as only you can do in these final moments of this service. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.